And you may be seated. Thank you, Jane. If we could uh, take our Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. You know, uh, there's a, a bit of an interesting story. Uh, it's kind of a love story, a romantic story. Uh, of a young man, you might have heard it before, uh, who pursued uh, a woman that he really loved. And the story goes something like this, uh, that she had planned on uh, going to grad school in New York. But this young man said there's no way uh, that he could let this happen. And so he pursued her, pursued her, and then he won her heart. He won her over. And out of the the sheer joy and shock uh, that he had won her over, he had promised her that he would actually take her to New York every single year of their life. And uh, lo and behold, they got married, and he did, in fact, take her to New York one time, one year, uh, despite many years of marriage. Now, uh, if I could ask you a question, what do you think about that man? Like, what's the opinion that you would have of him? I saw someone over there just shaking his head. He's like, what a liar. Uh, you know, what a little pro- you know, promise-breaking liar. Uh, you know what, what I think about him? I, I think he was young and naive because I made that promise to Angela when I was 22 years old. Uh, and so I think we should give that man of a decade past some grace, the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, but, you know, uh, we kind of laugh at that uh, story because it's kind of a little ridiculous promise that I, I made to my wife when I was 22 years old. Right, And it's just silly, but I think the, another reason why we laugh is because we can kind of resonate with that, right? Because all of us, if I kind of dig into your life deep enough, there's a silly promise or two that we've made and we have not kept, right? So for example, some of us, uh, you actually made this promise at the beginning of the year uh, that you were going to go on a diet, uh-oh, uh, and it was called your New Year's resolution, and now it's the year's almost over, and now you've just found your New Year's resolution again for the third year in a row, right? Others of us, husbands, you have made this promise to your wife that you will clean out your garage, and you are upset because now I have brought this up to her attention. I don't apologize for that. Some of us, we made a promise to our friends that we would finally buy that airplane ticket and finally go on that trip that we've been talking about for years, and it has been all talk. Liar. No, please buy that ticket. Uh, but, you know, you know, all of us, we kind of resonate with these promises because promises, it's kind of all over the place in our lives. We cannot escape promises. In fact, even young kids understand the concept of promise, right? When a promise is broken, no one knows better than young, than young kids, right? They say, oh, but you said, you said, you said you promise, you're a promise breaker, right? That's why a little children, they, have, uh, they practice this ancient pagan practice ritual called the pinky promise. It's evil, right? Uh, why, do we, why, why are we in awe when we see the elderly married couples who've been married for 40, 50 years? See, we're in awe because they've kept their promise to love and to cherish till death do them apart. That's why we're in awe. See, for every single person in this room, there's something about this idea of promise that resonates with us. It's a part of our reality. We understand it. It's, we, we can't escape it. For those of us who are kind of wondering, like, you know, what, give me a working definition of promise. Promise simply said, it's the declaration of assurance that one will indeed fulfill that which one had said or claimed. Uh, to put it even more simply, it's the assurance that one will fulfill, that one will do what one has said. 
And this promise, this declaration of assurance could be something as simple as doing the chores in the house, doing the dishes. It could be as grand as till death do us apart. But we understand all of this. Now, for some of us, we might be wondering, you know, like, but it's just child's play. You know, who cares about promises? But I would actually argue that promises, it actually makes life livable. There's an interesting article uh, that was uh, shown up on uh, Christianity Today. Uh, this article called Controlling the Unpredictable, The Power of Promise, by an author named Lewis Smeeds. And he, Smeeds argues that actually promises make life bearable and livable, that you can't function without promises. He gives a couple of reasons. For one, he says that uh, promises, they, they have the power to shape human identity. Right, because you know people, they, they want to know who they are, right? Everyone's wondering, who am I? Who am I really? And so what we'll do is we'll turn to things like our feelings and we'll ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I? Or, or we'll turn to other people and we'll say, can you tell me who I am? Tell me my identity. Or we'll turn to our successes and we'll say, is that who I am? But Smeeds argues, he argues that all of these things, though it's helpful to a certain extent, it's limited. Our feelings change. Our, feeling, our friends will not tell us the truth all the time. And even our greatest successes and achievements, it, it, there's something about our, the core of our identity uh, that it remains un, unrevealed by even our greatest successes. In fact, it can hide who we truly are. Smeeds actually argues that in order for you to discover who you are, it's made on the platform of promises made. Because when we make promises, we create a potential future. And that potential future, as we walk into it, we get an accurate reflection, a mirror of who we actually are. So as we make promises, as we keep those promises, or as we break those promises, he argues, you're getting a mirror of your true identity. So here's an example, right? Someone says, uh, oh, you know, I want to claim the identity of I'm a really good friend. That's who I am. I'm a good friend. But that's, that's an identity someone cannot acquire for themselves simply because they want to. They can't just write it on their Facebook page. That identity can only be forged as they make small or big uh, promises to their friends and as they keep those small or grand promises, the identity that they naturally acquire as a result of keeping the promises that they're a good friend. So he argues promises matter because it creates an identity. It tells you who you are. But furthermore, he would argue, not only does it help you to shape your identity, it, it actually uh, stabilizes relationships. Because what do we always say is the most important foundational thing of every single relationship? Trust. Now, tr- trust is an interesting thing. Because people, uh, they, they exercise trust with different philosophies, right? On the one hand, some people say, uh, you know, I- I'm not going to give you trust until you earn it. Right? It's, it's merit-based. It's a meritocracy. Others, they say, you know, I'm going to give you trust until you lose it. Okay, so very different philosophies. However, how do we measure whether trust is being earned or lost? He would argue that happens also on the platform of promises made. See, as we make promises and as we keep or not keep those promises, we're actually signaling to the people around us whether we're providing relational stability, whether we can trust them or trust us, that's what he would argue. In fact, here's what he says. He writes, but it is not only that I know myself in the mirror of my promises and identity, my people, the ones who belong to me, who depend on me, friends, family, coworkers, also know me by the promises I have made. What I promise is what I am and will be to them. And so going back to the illustration, uh, that person who's a good friend, 
because that person has kept their promises to his or her friends, that person has now facilitated a relational stability for his or her friends. They can trust him. They can trust her promises is incredibly not only familiar, not only is it universal for all of us, it is incredibly powerful. It has huge impact in our lives to shape our identity, to create relational stability, to give some degree of certainty to what is otherwise an unknown future. Now, for many of us this morning, that, that's kind of a good idea, right? This is, this is good news. We're like, I had no idea promises were so relevant to my life. Thank you for that. But now here's the problem. For others of us, this is extremely problematic. It's problematic because at this very second, every single person in this room, we stand on hundreds of promises. Promises made to us by people, by loved ones. Promises that we have made to others. Promises that we have made to ourselves. But if promises made and kept make life livable, then it must also be true that the reverse is that if promises made are unkept, it can actually make life very uh, unbearable. See, this morning, there are some of us in here where uh, there's some disappointment, great disappointment in our lives because there there was a loved one who backstabbed you, who hurt you. Uh, Someone promised something. Others of us, there was this promise that we made to someone near and dear in our life and we did not keep that promise. And so our identity, we're not really sure. Am I a good person? We don't know. There's relational uh, instability. There's confusion. We don't know what the future holds. And if I can uh, kind of drag this over into our relationship with Christ and with God, uh, some of us, we're actually not sure uh, if we've held our own promises to God, right? Because some of us, we actually made these promises like, um, God, I will follow you with everything that I have when we were in college, right? When we were young, when we were passionate, we told God, I'll never do that sin again. If you forgive me one more time, I will never go back to that sin. And we did not keep that promise. Some of us, we we said things like, I'll glorify you with everything that I have. Oh, if you just give me this, I'll use that to glorify you. And we have not kept that promise. Others of us, it's the reverse. We're not sure if God is keeping his end of the deal. Because some of us, we're we're doing our best. We're we're trying to follow Jesus as faithfully as possible. We we, we come to church, we give, we tithe, we do all these things, and and we try to give of our lives for him. But we just feel like, hey, I I felt like, didn't he say that, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I claimed that verse at one point that, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And I just felt like I thought that was my life. And now you look at your life this morning, you're like, I don't know what happened. Where is God? Why isn't he keeping his end of the deal? We know that he's good. We're just not sure if he's good all the time. And so this morning, some of us, if not all of us, stand on a very fragile ground of many promises made and yet promises unkept. And so so what do we do? What do we do in this place? You know, if you're kind of joining us for the first time, our church, we're in an Advent series and we're trying to remember this Christmas season for what it truly is. And, you know, the season is such an interesting time because for some of us, it's such a joyful time, isn't it? 
We're with our friends, we're with our family, there's good food. But for others of us, even despite that, or because we don't have that, there is incredible emptiness. There is this quiet void, this dull void that will not go away. And there are many reasons for that, but one may be that whenever we get to this Christmas season, uh, we actually start remembering all of these unkept promises in our lives and the promises that we've made to ourselves at the beginning of the year, and now the year's coming to an end, and, and we feel like promise breakers to ourselves, and so there's this great instability that we feel. And here's my contention this morning. It may be true that you may be standing on incredible, fragile ground of many unkept promises, but my contention is that you are also standing under an incredible promise, arguably the most important one that is being kept by God. And I hope that that encourages you. And, you know, I think there's a people, a group at one point who would actually kind of understand this dilemma. You know, uh, the ancient people of Israel, they believed uh, that God, the one true God, Yahweh God, had spoken to their fathers, their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and they believed that God promised Abraham uh, flourishing, flourishing, human flourishing for their people, that God would give them a land, that God would give them a people, that God would give them material blessing, and that on account of their presence in the world, all the families of the world uh, will actually be also blessed. We know of this promise because of this one big Bible word, for those of you who have never heard of it before, called covenant. Covenant, uh, most simply put, it's a binding agreement between multiple parties uh, where they agree to fulfill certain stipulations. And so there's, there's kind of this uh, little spirit of promise, right? There's a declared assurance that one will, one will do what one has said in covenant relations. And so if you actually study and examine ancient civilizations, this uh, idea of covenant was actually a very familiar means of communication and agreement between multiple parties. Covenants were made between family members, friends, business partners, and even between kings of different nations. And so God's people, the ancient Israelites, they believed that God had cut a covenant with God's people. Now, when we fast forward history about 650 years later, what we find is the nation of Israel, because they needed some time to stabilize, gain independence. Uh, If you've watched Prince of Egypt, they had to be freed from, right, Egypt, uh, and so 650 years later, what we find is they themselves, they also create or cut a covenant with God called uh, the Mosaic Covenant. And their promise to God was, we will obey you. Everything that you have told us, we will obey your words. We will follow your commandments and we shall be your people. So now, just face value, this is pretty remarkable and, and, and unique in all of human civilization. Because on the one hand, you have, you have the, the creator of the universe who humbles himself by entering a bound, oath-bound agreement to bless a people, to help and cause flourishing for a people. But on the flip side, you have these people who, in an oath-bound agreement, also say, we will follow you, we will be your people. It's, it's an amazing scene. But... As we not fast forward, but as we slowly trudge through 800 years of their history, which is a devastatingly slow 
and painful 800 years, what we actually find is that uh, this people, they would not keep their end of the covenant. In fact, they would break their promise to God. I mean, have you ever been reading the Old Testament? You're like, this is just the same thing over and over. It's just they're committing idolatry again and again and again. That's what happens. They turn away from God. They do not trust him. They do not love him. They do not follow him. They seek other gods, other means, other kings. It's devastating. To the point, not only uh, are they morally fractured, but even politically, uh, the, the people of God, the Israelites, they would be fractured as well. We know this because they would splinter into uh, kind of two kingdoms, although they're one people. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Their rebellion, their uh, promise-breaking sinfulness was so bad that it got to a point where God would actually start sending over these these mightier nations to to almost judge them and awaken them from their sinful stupor. And and, and so uh, God sent uh, this mighty nation called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, they came down and they actually took half of God's people and dragged them off as exiles. That was the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, when we come down here into our passage in Jeremiah, it is almost as if Jeremiah is the final stop as if he's the last opportunity, as if he's the last chance, because now another foreign nation has, has awoken, another new superpower called the Babylonians. These Babylonians, they conquered the Assyrians, and they have now turned their gaze towards the southern kingdom of Judah, and they are marching their way down. And so Jeremiah becomes known as the weeping prophet, because of course, What else would you do? Because he's standing upon what seems to be hundreds of broken promises. You know, for us, when we see Jeremiah's situation, on the one hand, it looks like, oh my gosh, it just seems like we know the people have not kept their end of the day. They've broken their promises to God. But didn't also God promise them welfare? Didn't he promise to bless them? Didn't he cut a covenant with them? And so when we come into Jeremiah's life, he's the weeping prophet because he's saying, what's happened? What is this destitution? And it is into this circumstance of a hundred broken promises that Jeremiah, on behalf of God, would give this promise. If you could take your Bibles and look with me in Jeremiah 31, 31. God says through Jeremiah, and here are his words, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, the Mosaic covenant that they broke at Sinai in Exodus 19. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. No, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, this covenant is profound because God affirms two things. On the one hand, he affirms, yeah, you know that whole uh, promise that you made uh, to me, you know, below Mount Sinai about how you're going to obey all my commandments? He totally broke that. You broke the old covenant. But at the same time, God says, hey, I'm not done with you. 
See, this new covenant that's talked about here, it is not new in that it's something different from what God originally told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, it's an elaboration. Uh, It's a clarification, a a further exposition of the original covenant that God made, which is this, that human flourishing salvation for God's people, it is not just something external. It's not just land. It's not just real estate. It's not just a people group offspring. It's not material blessing. There's something more. In order for you to truly flourish, there needs to be something that happens in the core of your human being. I need to change something. And so he says, I'm going to deal with your sins through forgiveness. And I'm going to deal with your sinfulness through transformation. I'm going to put my law in your heart, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're actually going to know me. You're going to have a relationship with me. I mean, regardless of your status from the least or to the greatest, you're all going to say that you can have a relationship with the one true Yahweh God. See, what God is saying here is, you have broken your promises, but I remember, and I am not done. I am going to keep my promise, regardless. Now, How do we know many, many years after this that this has actually happened? So uh, this uh, new covenant that we just read here in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, it's repeated one other time in our Bible. That's in the New Testament, namely in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. If you actually read chapter 8, the writer is arguing that this new covenant is superior to the old Mosaic covenant that the Israelites broke. Now, This writer says that this new covenant was mediated or brought about or brought to completion. It was accomplished by none other than Jesus, which he did through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And because of his life, death, and resurrection, he is now able to forgive his people of their sins and wipe their slate clean and that he would put his own spirit inside his own people so they can have an an actual intimate relationship with the God of the universe and obey him. Which means that 2,000 years ago, in the fullness of time, when God sent Jesus to the earth, what he was saying was, I keep my promises. I don't break my promises. When I declare assurance that I'm going to do something, I really do it. Which means this Advent season, as we gather here during Christmas time, as we, you know, enjoy family, friends, food, and even in the midst of the loneliness, as we stand upon just the hundreds and even thousands of unmet, broken promises, we can also stand underneath the waterfall of God's kept promise of flourishing and life and salvation for his people. If you look at your notes, I wrote, Advent is the celebration of God keeping his salvation promise for his people. Advent is the celebration of God keeping his salvation promise for his people. Now, this brings us to three uh, uh, relevant and important implications for us. Here's number one. The first one is, the promise that matters most in our lives has been kept. The promise that matters most in our lives has been kept. Um, you, you know, if we can just not do, do the church thing for, and just be really uh, human to human here. You know, for some of us, we're not very amused this morning. Be, because 
though you know this, right? Like, oh, Christmas, it's, it's, it's about Jesus, God, yay, I got it. But the reality is some of us, we have some real hurts and disappointments in our lives. Because there was a loved one who uh, just straight up betrayed us at one point. I mean, you remember that one friend, that former friend. He said, she said, and now there's this. Or it could be something else. Some of us made a promise to ourselves at the beginning of this year. You said, this is the year. This is the year I find the one. And the year is almost over, and you have not found the one. Right? And so there's this pressure like, oh, I should not have written that up on my Twitter account, and you know, I need to deactivate that. And so there's all this, this there's real disappointments. And I, I'm not saying that we cannot be disappointed I'm not saying that we we can't even feel shame. I'm not saying that we can't uh, feel pain. I'm I'm not trying to belittle uh, the the ground that we're standing on. I'm just trying to say we have to see the whole story, though. We have to amplify the promise that God has kept in our life, though. You you see, um, did you know that if every single, imagine if every single human promise in your life was kept perfectly today? Life would change. Life would look very different today, right? But now, imagine if all those promises, human promises were kept, but God never sent Jesus. You didn't have forgiveness of sins. You didn't have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you, helping you to live out the commands of God. Imagine if you didn't have a relationship with God. But all the human promises were perfectly kept. Do you know what that would be called? Hell. Hell on earth. I'm just saying we we have to complete the whole story. That even as we stand upon this fragile ground, we have to look up and see the whole story that God has kept his end of the deal. We have to see that. Maybe here's a a helpful illustration. Uh, A couple weeks ago, our family, we went to Disneyland. If you have young kids, that's called the most stressful place on earth. Okay? The most evil place on earth? No. Um, And you know, my daughter, she's two years old, and I just love it because everyone sees her and they they think she's so adorable, but I know the truth. And you know, she has this really bad habit where if she does not get something she wants, she, um, what's the scientific term? Loses it, okay? And uh, you know, we're very nervous whenever we go to Disneyland because she has this obsession with balloons. And uh, at Disneyland, there are many balloons priced at $400, for the string, just the string, right? And so we're, we're at Disneyland, and she says, balloon. And, um, you know, I, um, I'm, I start sweating, and you know, I'm, I'm like, I should have fasted. Uh, and I said, next time, not now. And she lost it. And I thought for a moment, because of the absence of one balloon, that has engulfed her view of the entire park. She has lost sight of the entire theme park because she didn't get her one balloon. Now, you know why that's cute? Because she's not that smart yet. But it's cute. I mean, she's a kid. Of course, she, you know, she doesn't have the perspective to be able to, you know, differentiate, like, you know, balloon is just $400, but Disneyland is a, a giant corporation. She doesn't have, she can't understand that. But I'm just saying, have you considered that in light of the great salvation that you have? in light of the amazing promise that God has kept in sending Jesus to the earth, in light of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, in light of your forgiveness, all of your sins being totally wiped away, in light of all of that, 
certain human promises that have not been kept, as disappointing as, and as painful as they may be, it may be comparable to that of a balloon. But how we lose sight of that. And some of us, we've gotten so jaded and cynical. The message of Jesus, it just doesn't put us in awe anymore. And, and the way out of that is not, optim- it's not blind optimism. It's not, oh, it's okay. No, it's that we see that, we see Jesus. We see that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 1. And this morning, regardless of whatever human promises have not been met, God has given you salvation. He's given you himself. The greatest, the promise that matters most in our lives, that has been kept. Implication number two, our God, he's a promise keeper. Amen. Our God is a promise keeper. That's the first amen I've ever gotten. What a momentous occasion. So, you, you know, uh, some, all of us this morning, we walked in with a certain, a certain lens and view of God. Right? We have a certain view of God. And it can, again, let's, let's do real human, human talk. Some of us, we do not trust God this morning. We do not trust God with our future. We do not trust God with what's going to happen relationally. We do not trust God with our children. We do not trust God with our finances. We, we don't. Because th- there's this quiet part of us where we wonder, is, does God really keep his promises? But what we can glean from this uh, Advent season and Jesus coming is, oh, God is a promise keeper. God, you know how we know this? Uh, you know uh, the first covenant that God made with Abraham to Jesus arriving? Do you know how many years uh, it took? 2,000 years. Do, do you know why it took 2,000 years? I have no idea. But I have some theories. One theory is God wants to let us know, hey, I don't forget. I'm not, I'm not like you. Like, you know, you, you say all these promises to me, but you forget them. When I, when I make one promise to a guy who's super old, I will remember that. And what I say, I will bring it to completion. Now, if what Smead said about the power of promise is true, that it creates personal identity, relational stability, and certainty in an uncertain future, this is great news for us. Because though we may vacillate all the time, God does not. Which means that our identity can be stabilized because God has said, well, you're my child. And so, I mean, you can have all sorts of opinions, but that's who you are to me. You know, have you noticed people talk about their relationship with God like this? Like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, I haven't really been walking with him and I haven't read my Bible in like three months and I keep going back to that sin and I feel like I'm struggling. That's our description on our end. You know what God's perspective is? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, that's still my child and I intend to bring that believer to completion to eternity. I am unwavering. That's God's perspective. So he creates relational Stability. And even in terms of the future, he's going to carry us into the future. You know, like sinful, broken, earthly people, to try to assure, uh, to try to guarantee what they're saying, they, they will use nomenclature like this, right? I swear on my firstborn's life, which is don't ever, that's a horrible thing to say, right? Or, or I swear on my life. God literally sent his son. Jesus literally gave his life. Our God keeps his promises. Implication three. We can give grace to others and ourselves 
for promises unkept. You know, some of us this morning, we're, um, we're bitter. We're bitter because there's someone in our life who promised something and they broke it. And we are bitter towards that person. Others of us, we're, um, we're deeply ashamed at ourselves because we're the ones who have made those promises and there's no way out. And so what's happened is there's almost this debt that's been created in our lives. A debt that someone else has to pay or a debt that we have to pay. And there's only two ways out of this debt. One, wrath. And that's a dead end street. I've tried. Route two, forgiveness. Forgiveness, which is painful. But that's the new covenant that God forgives us of our iniquities, he said. He will remember our sins no more. And so though forgiveness sometimes feels like we're dying, that's exactly how Jesus forgave us, by coming and dying. Advent, this season, it's our celebration. It's our celebration of God, that he keeps his promises for his people that he will cause us to flourish, that he will put himself in us and cause us to walk in knowledge of him to eternity. Are you celebrating? This Christmas season, have you been celebrating him? How about this one? Will you fight? Will you fight to celebrate him? And I'll, I'll kind of close with this story and maybe encourage you by sharing how I, I've had to fight as well to celebrate God's goodness. You know, um, this week, uh, there was a member of our church who reached out to me uh, for counsel. This person wanted to talk. And, you know, after having doing pastoral ministry for some years, I've kind of learned a few things. Number one, you know, when someone, wants to, when someone reaches out to you, they want your input. They want your wisdom. Right? That's why they're reaching out to you. The second thing that I've learned, uh, and it's been very humbling, is that often these moments where I'm meeting with someone, it's actually something that God has set up to teach me. Right? It's, I think I'm the one doing the work, the pastoral work, but often it's the body of Christ that ministers to me. And so there are these humorous times, so many occasions where I just pridefully say, oh, okay, I'll meet with you. I'm the pastor and I'll this is my job, and God's like, no, actually, you're my job today. I'm gonna, I'm, there's something I need to show you. Well, um, before I, I met with this person, it was just one of those days. I don't know if you have one of these days where you wake up and you see the two clear paths of contentment, joy, you know, counting your blessings, and there's this other dark little muddy hole called self-absorption and pity partying. And for some reason, uh, this one day during this week, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crawl into this hole today. That's where I'm going to go. And so I just sludged my way in there, and I was just throwing a pity party for myself all morning. Oh, my gosh, my life. Oh, so, oh, I'm tired. And uh, this was me as I was writing the sermon. <laughs> and I look at the, oh, my goodness, I got to go meet with this person. So I'm meeting with this person, and uh, you know, I'm here to do my job as a pastor, uh, not hearing the snickering of God, right? And this person sits down and they start sharing. 
and unfolding their life. This person's talking for like 20 minutes, right? I'm like, what is going on right now? Just, do you have a question for me? And, <laughs> and at the end of the 20 uh, minutes, this person says, um, and you know what I realized? I realized that I, I, I was, I've been so self-focused, so self-absorbed with my own problems that I've completely missed how faithful and good God has been in my life. You know, at that moment, it was like the blinders. The light went off. You know what the fu- This person didn't even say, so what do you think, pastor? This person just said, that's it. God sent me, right? I was like, I am the job today. Thank you for this moment of grace. And so even for me and us who, are, who do like, you know, spiritual work, it, it's a struggle. But will we fight to celebrate? Because our God, he, he keeps his promises. And so this morning, church, you may stand on the ground of a thousand broken promises, a ground that seems very fragile. But even if that ground breaks, you will be held by God because he keeps his promises for his people. And he has promised himself to you. Let's pray. You know, as the band comes up, I'm going to lead us into just one prayer topic. As I shared uh, first service, I think this idea and concept of, you know, promises made, promises unkept, if we really think about it, it's a very personal one for all of us. Every single one of us this morning, there is pain. There is loss. There are promises that have been made to us which have not been kept. There are promises we've made to others and even to ourselves which have not been kept. And I think God's invitation to all of us is that we can be honest, honest with our disappointments, honest with our pain, honest with our shame, and bring that to him honestly, but yet at the same time, by faith, not in our own works, but in Jesus. Faith in Jesus that our God is a good God. Oh, our season may be bad. Our season may be difficult, but our God, he remains steadfast in being good for us and in us. And so at this moment, I just want to invite you to just pray honestly. You can just sit there and just sigh, and God knows your heart. But you can also tell him, God, I'm disappointed, but but I want to believe you. I want to trust you. Let's pray that before the band uh, leads us away.